0: Before we get started with today's show, I want to tell you guys about betonline.ag. College football week one is upon us. Utah takes on Florida, Oregon, and Georgia, and of course, the classic top five battle between Notre Dame and Ohio State. Use our promo code BLEAV50, that's B-L-E-A-V-5-0, to get a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit when you sign up with the link in the description to this episode. Bet online, where the game starts. Good. on the Believe Podcast Network, except it isn't live because it is, as always, a podcast. Welcome in, everybody. It is Friday, September 2nd, according to my count. It may not be that according to your count, but we appreciate you stopping in. However, and whenever it is, you may be listening we have got a fantastic show coming at you today. We are going to be joined on the show for the first time by Believe Sports gambling expert, Brandon Lang. He's going to be a periodic contributor throughout the season here on the Take It Easy podcast, which is, of course, part of the Believe Podcast Network. By the way, just as we're starting a new month, Thank you all so much for your support of the show. We just had our biggest month ever on the show, 12,000 downloads last month. And it wasn't even the month that I thought would be the biggest show. I thought the biggest uh, month of the show was going to be when we did the Fall of the Spurs Dynasty documentary in July. So y'all came through big time in August. The down period on the sports calendar, you came through with 12,000 downloads Thank y'all so, so much for your support, and uh, I hope that we can have more people coming to this wonderful, wonderful podcast in the near future and continuing to show all of your fantabulous support. Brandon is going to be joining us here on the show in partnership with Believe and Bet Online Sportsbook all season long for uh, some gambling expertise on college and the NFL in uh, I guess what I'm going to affectionately call week one-half. This is week 0.5 because it's week zero of the NFL and it's week one of college football. So we'll call this gambling preview (laughs) one-half. This is week one-half's gambling preview on today's show with Brandon Lang, and he'll be joining us again throughout the season week to week. Usually it'll be on the back ends of Friday's show, unless it's its own show individually, maybe on a Wired Up or something like that. But for the most part... Tune in every Friday to get a gambling breakdown before the weekend gets going. By the way, uh, Brandon Lang is played by Matthew McConaughey in the 2005 movie Two for the Money. You can check out that movie that I believe has like a 28% on Rotten Tomatoes. But you can check out Two for the Money. It's starring Al Pacino and Matthew McConaughey. It's a cool story. I'm going to watch the movie sometime soon. If you listen to The Levitard Show, and I know we have a lot of Levitard Show fans here, it's the classic line from Al Pacino to Brandon Lang, played by Matthew McConaughey. I'm gambling again! I'm gambling again. I'm, you're just going to hear me drop that. If you listen to the Levitard show, you know what it is. If you don't, then uh, sorry, I guess it won't make sense. I'll get the sound drop eventually, but for now, I'm gambling again. So we'll get to Brandon coming up at the end of the show. First up on the show today, I would like to talk about the Donovan Mitchell trade, because after two and a half months and hardball negotiations with the New York Knicks, where the New York Knicks had 13 first-round picks of value to offer the Utah Jazz for Donovan Mitchell, Donovan Mitchell does not end up going to the New York Knicks, despite the fact the New York Knicks signed R.J. Barrett to an extension, and they still possibly had the best offer on the table because. If you'll remember what we talked about on our Sports Radio Wednesday, which, by the way, you should check out that Sports Radio Wednesday as well if you're looking for Garoppolo talk and Lamar Jackson talk and Kevin Durant and Donovan Mitchell talk, which, by the way, most of the stuff that we talked about in Donovan Mitchell's segment on Wednesday is still applicable after the trade. I am very proud of myself for doing a sports radio segment that has aged with magnificent grace. Even though I said, of course, the New York Knicks had the best package to offer for Donovan Mitchell, the Cleveland Cavaliers came through and matched Utah's asking price without really having to drop the value on what you, the jazz were asking for now if you remember the utah jazz reportedly according to i believe it was woge or uh, tim bontemps i can't remember exactly who it was but the utah jazz were initially asking for rj barrett Quentin grimes Obi toppin and six first round picks for donovan mitchell and if you're doing the calculation in your head say that you traded Obi toppin Quentin grimes it was also a manual quickly reported in there, but basically three of the four young players for the New York Knicks and six first round picks. Well, obviously six first round picks is worth six first round picks and the New York Knicks had more to offer because they for they they traded this year's first round pick for them a lottery pick for three future picks, they have Dallas's future first in the Porzingis trade, and they have all of their picks for the next, like, six, seven years. And the New York Knicks had 13 first-round picks to offer if you combine the nine first-round picks they have over the next five years and you take the four first-round picks from the last three years, being R.J. Barrett, Obi Toppin, Emmanuel Quickly, and... And Quentin Grimes, who wasn't a first-round pick, but has first-round pick value, and so the New York Knicks basically had 13 first-round picks to offer. And if you offered R.J. Barrett straight up in a trade, he would be worth two first-round picks. If someone were, if say the the uh, tomorrow that the Houston Rockets were to trade for the for R.J. Barrett, R.J. Barrett would go for two first-round picks plus a salary filler player. So. R.J. Barrett is potentially worth two first-round picks in any trade. He's a top 50 player, not quite an all-star, a very, very good player who averages 20 points a game. There's like 50 to 60 players in the NBA who could average 20 points a game in a system where they play 31 minutes a night and do it relatively efficiently. Okay, so the New York Knicks on Monday signed R.J. Barrett to a long-term extension. The Knicks gave Utah a hard deadline to accept their offer. Assuming that they had the best offer, because remember the New York Knicks were playing the game of, we don't have to give Utah what they're asking for, we just have to give Utah more than what any other team can offer, and this was according to Shams why, the or I guess Shams is the best way to pronounce it. I'm sorry I said that like a gringo. Shams said in uh, on the Athletic and on Stadium, and he went on Stu Gatz's podcast shams said damn i'm sounding like a gringo today shams said that the other teams in the donovan mitchell sweepstakes weren't really engaging because none of them were going to top the new york knicks offer and the new york knicks took themselves out of the game according to danny ainge's you know decision making over the last week once the new york knicks took rj barrett off the table and weren't going to offer 10 first round picks of value, remember, of value, which is what Utah was asking from New York. If they weren't going to offer 10 first-round picks of value, now Utah could go around the league and see if someone could meet nine first-round picks or someone could meet eight first-round picks, the equivalent of what the New York Knicks were offering as their best deal. Because, again, the New York Knicks were saying, we don't have to offer—we don't have to overpay for Donovan Mitchell. We just have to beat whatever the best offer anyone can give is and so after they got R.J. Barrett it made it so that they only had 11 first round picks of value to trade and presumably based on the Donovan Mitchell trade that happened yesterday the New York Knicks were only offering seven first round picks of value so say it was uh, Emmanuel Quickly, Obi Toppin, Quentin Grimes and four first round picks or five first round picks they weren't offering more than seven first round picks of value in exchange for Donovan Mitchell. And if we're doing like gambling talk, you could also think of first-round picks when I use them in air quotes as units of value. He is the seven units of value for Donovan Mitchell. Rudy Gobert went for Malik Beasley, who's worth one unit of value, a first-round pick. If if the if the Jazz decided to trade Malik Beasley, he would be worth a first-round pick. They got the first-round pick from last year from the um, from the Timberwolves, who hadn't played a single game yet. I think it's Walker Kessler, and they got four first-round picks, a pick swap, and Jared Vanderbilt, who was also a first-round pick just two years ago and started on the Timberwolves in the playoffs last year. So basically, they got three players who are each worth a first-round pick, and they got five first-round picks for Rudy Gobert. So that's basically seven to eight first-round picks of value for Gobert, and they were asking for more for Donovan Mitchell. And it looked like the Knicks were going to be the team that met that price because the Knicks had had you know capital to burn through. Donovan Mitchell's from New York. There's not really a player as good as Donovan Mitchell coming available any time in the next year. And the New York Knicks presumably only offered seven first-round picks worth of value. We'll enter the Cleveland Cavaliers now. And the Cleveland Cavaliers offer Colin Sexton, who is not as good of a player as RJ Barrett, although their careers have very similar, like, map. Like, their careers have followed a very similar path. For people who remember, Colin Sexton was the number eight pick in the 2018 draft. So he was one year before uh, RJ Barrett. People thought Colin Sexton might be a top five prospect in the class. He fell to pick eight. The, the Cavs ended up taking him with the pick they got in the Kyrie Irving trade. And Colin Sexton, early on in his career, was on a terrible Utah Jazz team. And, or, I'm sorry, he was on a terrible Cleveland Cavaliers team. And by his second year in the NBA, Colin Sexton was averaging 24 points per game shooting 47% from the field and 37% from three. Colin Sexton was a fringe all-star in 2020, which is basically where R.J. Barrett basically resides at this point in his career, is a fringe all-star, very, very good player, both five-star prospects, both of them top five prospects in their draft class, both averaging 20 points a game, not good enough to quite make the all star team, and they're not, you know, they're not superstars, but they're top 50 players. So Colin Sexton, who, if he were traded tomorrow, might get two first round picks, similar player to RJ Barrett, foundation of the deal, and by the way, in a unique way, expendable for Cleveland, because Cleveland got all, fringe all star point guard Darius Garland, who again is an all star at 22 years old who basically replaced Colin Sexton because Colin Sexton had a major surgery during the season. He missed most of last year and so Colin Sexton was weirdly displaceable for the Cleveland Cavaliers and so they build this deal around Sexton the same way that the Knicks were going to build around RJ Barrett. And then the next step was meeting the Utah Jazz's asking price, which by the way, the Cleveland Cavaliers did and they were best positioned to because they could build a deal around RJ Barrett. I'm sorry, around Colin Sexton. And and maybe a team like Sacramento could have built a trade around De'Aaron Fox, or a team like Washington could have built a trade around Furui Hachimura, but like those are all terrible teams, and the bulk of the deal for Utah was going to be draft picks. And interestingly, they went Colin Sexton and Larry Markinen, which I think Larry Markinon was kind of a throw in piece. I don't think Larry Markinon has any value. Someone might argue Larry Markinen could get a first round pick if, say, like Royce O'Neal got a late first round pick from the Brooklyn Nets to Utah. But I'd say Larry Markinen doesn't really hold any value in that trade. They basically got Colin Sexton and also got their first round pick last year, which is Oshai Aj- Ajbaji. Agbaji. There we go. Oshai Agbaji, who was the 14th pick in the draft last year. That's basically worth a first round pick. If he was drafted with the 14th pick in the draft six no six weeks ago then he's probably worth basically a first round pick he's never played an NBA game he was drafted 14th doesn't mean he's going to be a great player doesn't mean anything but it's worth a first round pick because he was literally just taken with a first round pick and there is this thing about basketball in any sports where draft picks hold more value before they are used as it's like taking a you like a car a new car off the lot as soon as you make that draft pick the draft pick immediately decreases in value. It's just based on the market around sports. That can obviously change with any given trade or people valuing picks more or less. But that's basically the state of most draft picks right now is that draft picks are more valuable prior to their maybe being drafted because the 14 pick in the draft could be the next Devin Booker and it could be the next Georgios Papayanis. So the possibility of it being the next Devin Booker adds exponentially higher value and then as soon as it becomes Oshai Ajabi it decreases in value because you know most people don't think he's going to be a star before it happens people believe that hey that draft pick could be the next great star and so it has inflated value it's just a basic like economics of of sports trade thing that's interesting but basically first round pick for Ajabi and then they got four Essentially four first-round picks. It's basically three first-rounders and two pick swaps. But the thing about those two pick swaps now is that they're in the same years for the Jazz as Minnesota and Cleveland's trade. So as long as just one of Minnesota or Cleveland finishes in the lottery... Utah is going to make those pick swaps, and they will add value to each of those trades. So the pick swaps are actually really, really valuable in one of those trades. I think it's the 2026 one. I have to double check, but one of those picks is incredibly, incredibly valuable because in 2026... They just need either Minnesota or Cleveland to suck. And the odds are pretty good that either Minnesota or Cleveland is going to be in the lottery in 2026. Therefore, they will increase value as a result of this trade. So when you hear me say four first-round picks from Cleveland to uh, Utah, that's what I'm talking about in that trade. So you're looking at four first-round picks and a pick swap Utah basically got the exact same trade from Cleveland that they got for Rudy Gobert. Because remember, the Rudy Gobert trade was Malik Beasley, Walker uh, Walker Kessler, Jared Vanderbilt, who again, those two players are worth two first-round picks. Colin Sexton is worth two first-round picks. Then you add Malik Beasley, who's worth a first-round pick. Oshaya Jabi, who's worth a first-round pick. And you got four future first-round picks and one pick swap. They basically did the exact same deal twice. And everyone was crapping on Minnesota for making that trade for Rudy Gobert. That's what a Tier 3 star is worth in the NBA. Or a possible Tier 2 star, if you believe that's what Donovan Mitchell is. A Tier 3 star is worth five first-round picks. A guaranteed all-star is worth between seven to nine first-round picks worth of value. And that's what both Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert find themselves as right now is star players under team control are worth seven to nine first round picks, and Rudy Gobert, especially in an NBA now where the super duper stars are staying in the locations that they are. This is the those are the two best players that have come available for trade since Chris Paul to the to the Phoenix Suns, other than James like non James Harden category. And James Harden, the second trade, is not bigger than Donovan Mitchell or Rudy Gobert. So I think that you're looking at a James Harden trade and Chris Paul trade to the Suns. Two biggest trades since then are are Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert. And the Utah Jazz got somewhere between seven to nine picks worth of value. Depends how you feel about Markinen, Depends how you feel about Colin Sexton. They basically got seven and a half first round picks of value for Gobert. And seven to nine first round picks of value for Donovan Mitchell. And we thought it was going to be New York. New York wasn't willing to meet the price tag. And Utah only came down a little bit from their asking price. Like, obviously, the Knicks were the only team that was going to, the only motivated team that was going to be able to offer 10 first round picks worth of value. Again, we're like, we're talking about former first round picks and current first round picks in making such a trade. And so. Cleveland was the next best option in terms of a team that was actively engaged. Like again, Sacramento could have built a deal around Don, uh, De'Aaron Fox. Maybe Washington builds a deal. Maybe Charlotte builds a deal around Gordon Hayward. But that was no way that was going to come close to what was being offered by the New York Knicks and secondarily the Cleveland Cavaliers. And of the teams that were motivated to make such a move, seven to nine first round picks as an asking price was an interesting decision to make. So I want to focus on Cleveland now because we've just gone through the trade. We'll come back around to Utah in a second. Cleveland will be an entertaining product next year. And Cleveland reminds me a lot of last year's Chicago Bulls team, where the Bulls spent $800 million and three first round picks. To build a team that was good enough to win one single playoff game. And they were super entertaining last year. Remember that stretch in January and February where DeMar DeRozan was hitting buzzer beater after buzzer beater. And game winning shot after game winning shot. That was incredibly entertaining for the Chicago Bulls. And they only got one playoff win out of it. They were never going to be a competitive team. There was nothing that the Cleveland Cavaliers could do to make them championship-level good. There was no trade with their draft picks Cleveland was going to make. Similarly to Minnesota, and this was part of why Danny Ainge was engaging with the Knicks and the Cavaliers, we did this long-form thing with the Knicks back on July 14th about how If the New York Knicks give up nine first-round picks or ten first-round picks worth of value for Donovan Mitchell, they will essentially be making the Carmelo Anthony trade all over again. They will have signed Julius Randle the same way they signed Amari Stoudemire. Jalen Brunson will be like Jeremy Lin. Well, the Knicks didn't pay Jeremy Lin, but like... The same idea of we're going to spend a lot of money on a power forward, we're going to trade for a score first guard slash forward, and we are going to lose in the first round of the playoffs. Now, the New York Knicks won a playoff series. Essentially, we will lose in the first round and lose in the play in a couple times. We will have an entertaining product, and we will be relevant for three seasons. Cleveland has three years of Donovan Mitchell under contract, and maybe Donovan Mitchell signs the extension with the Cleveland Cavaliers because of bird rights and contract dollars and all that. Maybe it'll be like uh, an example I'll bring up in a little bit, which is Paul George. Maybe it ends up being like that for Cleveland. What's more likely is that Cleveland has two years of Donovan Mitchell. Then they will be able to recoup some of their value by trading Donovan Mitchell right before he hits free agency, or they will help a team facilitate a signing by doing a sign and trade. Basically, he's under contract for three years, they will get an extension out of Donovan Mitchell, and they will be paying him for subpar product for the final three, five, three four, five years of that contract, and... Donovan Mitchell will be worth, you know, whatever they pay, whatever the Bulls paid DeMar DeRozan these last couple of years. And Donovan Mitchell is going to be a max player and the best player that Cleveland has had since LeBron James unless Evan Mobley becomes a top 10 player, which is the same thing I will say about Evan Mobley about Anthony Edwards, which is if he becomes your best player, you can have the hope of competing for championships. Minnesota should be building their entire offense through Anthony Edwards right now. And Cleveland, I don't think they're in a position where Evan Mobley is going to be the person who you facilitate your offense through. I think it should definitely be Donovan Mitchell. If Donovan Mitchell is your best player and you have three top 50 players, so say like three fringe all-stars, you have Donovan Mitchell and three fringe all-stars, being Jarrett Allen, who made an all-star team as a substitute last year and will not make an all-star team again this year. Darius Garland, who was a true all-star last year as the leading scorer on the Cavs, obviously his offensive role will take a step back. Doesn't mean he can't be an all-star, just will take a little step back. And of course you have Evan Mobley, rookie of the year, guy who's scoring 18 points a game. Cleveland has four fringe all-stars and no player that is better than, say, the 12th best player in the NBA. That's a team that can win a singular playoff series. It's a team that will lose once they play Milwaukee. It's a team that will lose once they play Boston. It's a team that will lose once they play Miami. And that's okay because Cleveland is going to have a super entertaining product for two seasons. And when two seasons are up, they will have to pick between Donovan Mitchell or Evan Mobley. They will probably pick Evan Mobley, and they will recoup some of their value on Donovan Mitchell by trading him with one year left on his contract. The Cavaliers get two seasons of Donovan Mitchell, and it's going to be really fun to watch Cleveland next season as a basketball product. Cleveland will not be able to compete at the highest levels of the Eastern Conference, and at the same time, there was nothing Cleveland could have done that would put them in that position. So it's a great value move for Cleveland. Yes, they gave up seven to eight (laughs) first-round picks worth of value, for Donovan Mitchell, and at the same time, Donovan Mitchell is the best player Cleveland could have gotten to upgrade their team given the circumstances, other than hoping that Evan Mobley becomes, you know, a top 10 player that they acquired through the draft. And Evan Mobley might be one of the better players of his generation, obviously he just won rookie, of, or finished second in rookie of the year behind Scottie Barnes, so obviously Evan Mobley is a very, very good player. It's just going to take two years before we know what Evan Mobley is because he's 20 years old. And unless he's a special, special player who's a 20-year-old All-Star, then at which point Cleveland has the case to make it to the second round of the playoffs every single year. If Evan Mobley at 21 years old is putting up numbers like Zion Williamson did or like uh, Anthony Edwards did last year, then there's a case to be made for a team that has four fringe All-Stars, Up and down their team. What's going to be fun is that Cleveland has an entertaining product. And that's the same thing Minnesota was betting on when they traded for Rudy Gobert. And that's exactly what Danny Ainge was looking for when he makes those trades, because that's where you're going to get the most value. Cleveland's first round picks are as valuable as Brooklyn's first round picks, which are as valuable as Golden State's first round picks. Everyone gets one. Some teams have higher picks than others. And Cleveland has to use their first-round picks differently than, say, another team like, uh, I don't know, the Warriors or a team like the Clippers has to use their first-round picks. Which, speaking of the Clippers, brings me back around to the Utah Jazz. Because back in 2019, which is getting close to being a generation ago, I, I say basketball generations are every four to five years because it's the physical prime of the players themselves. Three years ago... Oklahoma City got Shy Gilgis Alexander and six first-round picks for Paul George. It's basically eight first-round picks or seven first-round picks worth of value for Paul George. You may remember that Paul Ge- uh, that Shy Gilgis Alexander was offered as like a pick swap for uh, Cade Cunningham. Remember the in the 2021 draft, OKC offered Shy Gilgis Alexander and the sixth pick for the number one pick to get Cade Cunningham? Which basically means they valued Shai Gilgis-Alexander as two first-round picks. Or three first-round picks. But two first-round picks for Shai Gilgis-Alexander and six first-rounders that were actual first-rounders for Paul George. And if you do the calculation on down on Russell Westbrook, Oklahoma City got six first-round picks in exchange for Russell Westbrook. And they probably sold themselves short because they swindled Houston. Out of a, a Chris Paul plus four first round picks trade for Westbrook, they kind of swindled. Uh, I think it's only three now because one of those pick swaps didn't go through, so it's like three first round picks now. But they got a great deal there, and they they traded Paul. They traded Chris Paul for Kelly Oubre and a first round pick, and that Kelly Oubre ended up being traded for another first round pick to Golden State. So basically, they got two first-round picks for Chris Paul, and they sold themselves way short on a Chris Paul trade. And we know that now because they valued him as a fringe all-star instead of being the player that Chris Paul was in 2021 that got him a $120 million extension from the Suns. But basically, Oklahoma City got six first-rounders for Paul George plus Shagiljus Alexander and six first-rounders for Westbrook. So that's a total of 14 first-round picks worth of value for two players, that helped Oklahoma City get the sixth seed and the four seed in the West over two seasons. The Utah Jazz had the same type of two players, even though Paul George and Russell Westbrook were more highly regarded in 2019 than Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert were in 2022. OKC basically had the same situation as Oklahoma City, and they made the exact same trades. That Oklahoma City made. Danny Ainge and Utah are following the Oklahoma City book to a T. They are following the exact tanking model that Sam Presti used. That felt a little unprecedented when Sam Presti did it, just because Sam Presti had two All Stars to trade within a span of two weeks. Remember, Paul George got traded to the Clippers, and then two weeks later, Westbrook got traded to the Rockets, and he had two All Stars to make such a trade happen, and. Oklahoma City ended up getting 14 picks worth of value and a playoff run with Chris Paul, and they sold themselves short because Chris Paul was such a talented player when they traded him for only two first-round picks. But basically, you're looking at that situation where Oklahoma City got... Also, Chris Paul only had one year left on his deal, so that played part of the the trade value, of course. Utah just played the exact same deal because remember we said they got 7.5 picks of value for Rudy Gobert walker kessler who was the first rounder last year malik beasley who's worth a first round pick four first round picks jared vanderbilt who's worth a first round pick because he was a first rounder two years ago and uh one pick swap so that's three players each worth a first round pick four actual first round picks and a pick swap then you add in This trade for Donovan Mitchell. They got somewhere between seven to nine first round picks of value because you have Colin Sexton, who's worth maybe two first round picks, Ajabi, Ajbaji, sorry, Ajbaji, who was a first round pick last year, like literally six weeks ago or eight weeks ago in the NBA draft. And you got four first round picks and a pick swap. I know there's two pick swaps, but again, we're combining two together here because it's the same year. You are looking at four first round picks there. And 7 to nine first round picks, total of value. You're looking at the same 14-16 to 16 picks worth of value that Oklahoma City got. And remember, Oklahoma City kept making trades after those two Westbrook and Paul George trades. Remember, Steven Adams got flipped for a first. They got a first-round pick for Trevor Ariza. It was a heavily protected one, and it ended up being second-rounders. But they got second-round picks for Trevor Ariza. They got a first-round pick for uh, for George Hill to facilitate the Drew Holiday trade to um from new orleans to milwaukee they got other picks in return by by using a cap space they swapped first round picks uh the stephen adams trade obviously was for a straight first round pick so okc got more value after the fact but specifically from the westbrook and paul george trades they got 14 to 16 first round picks worth of value and colin sexton is utah's shy gilgis alexander so you have Essentially, the exact same repertoire of picks that the Oklahoma City Thunder got three years ago. And just like the Oklahoma City Thunder, there will be no reason to watch the Utah Jazz for the next three to four years. No reason at all to watch them. Utah made an interesting strategic move in their trade packages. And I'm going to read the picks that they got in these two trades here. This is courtesy of Worldwide Wide on Twitter. The Utah Jazz for just Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert got Minnesota's 2023 first-round pick, Cleveland and Minnesota's 2025 picks, Cleveland and Minnesota's 2027 picks, Cleveland and Minnesota's 2029 picks, both pick swaps with Cleveland and Minnesota in 26. So their pick will be the highest between themselves, Cleveland and Minnesota, which is basically an extra first-round pick, and a 2028 pick swap from Minnesota. Or sorry, from Cleveland. So you're looking at one of their picks being used in this trade over the next two years. And remember, they got a first-round pick for Royce O'Neal at the back end of the first. So Royce O'Neal's pick will be in 2023. It's like the lowest between Houston, Brooklyn, and Philadelphia. So like it'll probably be 27 in the draft or something like that. It's basically like a, a high second-round pick. And... Utah is going to have all of their draft picks between Minnesota and Cleveland deferred to after 2025, which is easily signifying that Utah doesn't just intend to be terrible next year. They intend to be terrible in 2024. They intend to be what the Houston Rockets have been the last two years, which is worst record in the NBA, protect our our lottery uh, protections, and we end up with Jabari Smith and Jalen Green. Are Jabari Smith and Jalen Green going to be stars? We don't know, but they represent two years of actively tanking to be awful. Maybe it's Scoot Henderson, maybe it's Victor Webanyama, whoever it is in 2024, whatever it might be. Like Utah is saying we are going to get two top five picks over the next two years and that is going to be the foundation of the team that we build. And those players that they have right now who they're going to play next year, which is just off my head starting lineup. You're looking at Sexton... Beasley, Jared Vanderbilt at power forward, say, uh, Talen, Horton Tucker at forward and in at center. Maybe. I don't know. Oh, uh, Walker. No, not Walker Kessler. I don't know whoever else they, they still have on the team, whether it's, uh, I guess it would be the four players I'm thinking of are Beasley, Sexton, Vanderbilt, and THT. And then, Uh, maybe, maybe like Bogdanovich hangs around for a couple years, although they could get a first round pick for Bogdanovich at the deadline. Like maybe, maybe they get another player in there, but basically you're looking at those four players, Beasley, Sexton, Vanderbilt, and THT, which represent, you know, the actual pieces of value that they got in these trades. Those players are going to start and they're going to lose a lot of games over the next two years. Do they have plans for Malik Beasley to be on the team long-term? Probably not. Do they have plans for Jared Vanderbilt to be on the team? Probably not. Anyone who comes along wanting them and will offer draft pick for them, they will give it up so that they can defer value into the future. What they're going to do right now is play those players and really slowly, 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 slowly bring along Walker Kessler and Ajbaji who is the, first, the lottery pick from this year, they are slowly going to bring those two players along. Because remember, they were both drafted this last year. One's 20 years old, one's 19 years old. They're going to bring them along real slow because Utah is not going to play a meaningful basketball game for at least three years. There will be no reason to watch Utah. There will be no reason to engage with Utah other than the transactions that they make Even if you're a fan of the Utah Jazz, there is no reason to watch that basketball team over the next few years. And like Oklahoma City, they will make little tinkering moves in between. They will shop around Beasley. They will shop around Sexton. They will try and get draft picks by taking on cap space and by swapping their first-round picks. They will do what they can to defer value into the future, which is the best strategy they can do right now because their goal is to use their lottery picks— to get two top five guys over the next two years which is exactly what Houston did the last three years when they now have got Jalen Green and Jabari Smith it's what Oklahoma City did when they now have Josh Giddy and Chet Holmgren and they're still deferring picks to the future they're gonna tank this year aggressively hard to try and get a third one at the top of the lottery And then they're going to use their draft picks in whatever way they choose to to add value, whether it be trading for a star, trading for uh, role players. They're just sitting out a generation of basketball. Oklahoma City and Utah and Houston, and those are the best examples I can think of right now, they're just sitting out a generation of basketball. They are sitting out three to five years with the hopes that the next generation, they will be a team that is ready to compete. I commend them for the strategy because, again, they capitalized while their value was the highest. They capitalized when Mitchell was the highest. They capitalized when Gobert was the highest. They made the playoffs for six straight years, and that's huge. they were hugely entertaining along the way. It was a team that was very, very good. They were just the Walmart version of the Lakers in 2019 and 2020, and that's okay. They were really fun. They were really good. Now the strategy is we're going to sit out a generation and we are going to slowly work along these rookies that we have. Yeah, we have Sexton. Yeah, we have Vanderbilt. Yeah, we have Beasley. We hope that someone will come along and collect them, their value and pay two firsts for Sexton or a first for Beasley or a lottery-protected first for Vanderbilt. We hope someone will take those. And in the meantime, we'll work to develop them, see if they're worth keeping around as role players once we actually try and compete. But for three years, we're not playing a meaningful basketball game. We're going to sit out a generation. It's not super fun as a fan base. It's, it just happens every now and then. And Utah is going to follow the exact same blueprint that Oklahoma City followed. Are you tired or bored of your current NBA team? Have you recently lost a superstar and are now spending years stuck in a rebuild? Are you a Lakers fan who hopped on the bandwagon after the Russell Westbrook trade, but are now tired of defending Anthony Davis on Twitter? If you or someone you know is experiencing perpetual mediocrity, then we have a new solution for you. Introducing the new Cleveland Cavaliers. We know it's now been four years since LeBron left, and the Cavaliers have had a really poor reputation. But with the fifth seed in the eastern conference and while currently sitting five games over 500 the cleveland cavaliers are a perfect option for any new and adopting bandwagoners yes for 20 years the Cavaliers' strategy was to have the greatest players in the history of basketball be born in the general area of your city but the cleveland cavaliers have pivoted in the last four years We traded Kyrie Irving, who we got with the number one pick in the draft, and basically only got Colin Sexton in return. We then refused to sign Colin Sexton to his rookie extension, only for Sexton to then tear his meniscus in week one. The Cleveland Cavaliers signed Kevin Love to that four-year, $120 million extension, and we still have refused to trade Kevin Love because we are loyal we know we've drafted in the top five six times in the last 10 seasons but we've also had more success than 26 other nba franchises in the last decade when you join the new cleveland cavaliers some of the perks involved are three fun young rookie stars the possibility of acquiring ben simmons and no expectations for the 2021 2022 season that's right You get all the fun of a team that's allowed to talk shit on Twitter and none of the expectations of actually winning a playoff series. Remember when we had John Beeline and he was basically Urban Meyer before Urban Meyer? Neither do we, and we've moved on from this through a pandemic and multiple draft picks to create a new young core of Darius Garland, Isaac Okoro, and Evan Mobley. For all of you who are big fans of NBA Twitter, we also have wonderful attractions such as Ricky Rubio, Chetty Osman, and the legend, Taco Fall. That's right, Taco Fall plays for the Cavaliers. Bet you didn't know that. Lakers fans, how excited were you when you guys got Russell Westbrook? Well, if you join the new Cleveland Cavaliers, In seven months, you'll get that joy again when we inevitably trade Kevin Love and Colin Sexton to acquire Russell Westbrook in a move of pure desperation. But that's not all, folks. If you sign up in the next 48 hours, you will receive a new Cleveland Cavaliers swag bag, which includes a J.R. Smith tattoo t-shirt, LeBron James's old practice shorts from 2016's championship season, a copy of the Dan Gilbert letter that he sent out after LeBron James decided to join the Miami Heat, two complimentary tickets to a Detroit Pistons-Cleveland Cavaliers game worth $6, and Lowry Markinen. So sign up today for the new and improved CLEVELAND Cavaliers. All signups for New Cleveland Cavaliers are binding through the 2022-2023 season. All signups must be confirmed before the inevitable New York Knicks play-in game in April. Side effects of New Cleveland Cavaliers include fever, chills, cold sweats, Ben Simmons trade rumors, anxiety, depression, suicidal thoughts or actions, diarrhea, constipation, a longing for LeBron James, and the inexplicable urge to acquire Harrison Barnes at the trade deadline. If you or someone you know experiences any of these symptoms, your doctor may prescribe Orlando Magic as an alternative for new Cleveland Cavaliers. All right, all right. We are joined for the first time on the Take It Easy podcast by one Brandon Lane. If you uh, have ever seen the, uh, the movie Two for the Money, uh, the movie with Al Pacino and Matthew McConaughey, it is about him. Ah, uh, you can check out that, and you can follow all his work at blang BrandonLang or blang dot
1: Just Brandon, just BrandonLang.com, BrandonLang dot B R A N D O N L A N G. Simple as that, easy peasy. Brandon. It's the, it's the name of the character McConaughey played in the movie. So that's all that matters. So,
0: you know, there you go, Brandon you Lang.
1: Go to, yeah, BrandonLang dot You go to a bar, show women a picture of you and McConaughey, and it's like fishing with dynamite. That's really all that matters. I mean, as long as Matt did his job and. And I'm able to show that picture around, bro. I'm I'm 59, never looked better. And it, being single out here, you need every advantage you get and you you can get, bro.
0: Congratulations to you for being played in a movie by Matthew McConaughey. I think that that is a, a life achievement many of us would be shooting for. So congrats to you. He also does gambling stuff for Believe, and he's going to be joining us pretty periodically throughout the season this year. Obviously, week one of college football starts off this week. So, uh, Brandon, I will turn it over to you. Obviously, the, the biggest games, you could name the four off the top, whether it's Utah and Florida, Notre Dame and Ohio State uh uh Cincinnati, Arkansas, and of course Oregon and Georgia, those being the biggest games of the weekend. What do you think about those either from gambling or just uh, being a college football fan in general?
1: The Ohio State Notre Dame game, I left alone. I-, I gotta see both teams play at least once, especially with with Notre dame and and the new coach and and coming in there and the horseshoe and Ohio State, the disappointing end of the season they had last year. That's the one I'm leaving alone. The, the other three I kind of like. Aside in each game, we'll start with with Cincinnati and, and Arkansas. People don't realize that since he's got eight starters back on offense, but more importantly, much like the NFL, especially in college football, if you're going to go on the road in college football and you're going to keep it close, you've got to at least hold your own in the trenches. That's both your offense and defensive lines. Cincinnati has all five starters back on their O-line, and it's probably one of the best O-lines in the country. Arkansas only returns like 13 starters. People are all over Arkansas in this game, and I'm like, you give me Cincinnati plus six and a half with that talent and speed on the road? They got a kid coming over from Eastern Michigan, Ben Davis, who was rock solid last year at Eastern Michigan. Looks like he's going to take over for Ritter. I love the six and a half here. I think Cincinnati is going to be in this game the entire way. I, I people think people are sleeping. I'm my boy Fickle and the boys, and I'm pretty high up on Cincy plus the points. I just don't see them going in there and getting absolutely blown out. Sorry, I don't see it. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm crazy, but I will take the Bearcats plus the points. Note this right now. Fickle's 20 and seven straight up. and against the spread in non-conference affairs. He's 6-0 straight up and 4-0 against the spread in season openers. And he's 9-0 against the spread as an underdog from three to nine points. How do you not take the points with our boy Fickle? So we're going to take Cincinnati plus the points. Oregon, I like him. Co-defensive coordinator for Kirby Smart goes to Oregon. They got 16 starters back from last year. And if you think Kirby start's going to run it up on his boy, I don't see it. Sorry. I'll take the 17 and a half all day long. I think this game's going to be back and forth. How soon we forget that this Oregon team went into the horseshoe last year and put an ass whooping on Ohio state. I don't know if they'll win this game outright. I don't see them getting blown out though. I'll take the 17 and a half of the ducks.
0: All right. I like those two. Would you parlay those together? You feeling better about one than maybe the other?
1: No, I never, I never, here's one thing I teach people when it comes to gambling. And that's, let's say you have a bankroll of 500 for the day. And let's say your best bet is Cincinnati plus the six and a half. Well, take your 330 and bet 300 on Cincinnati. That leaves you 170 to play with the parlays and teasers and all that golly gaga stuff. So if you lose everything else, but you hit your best bet, guess what? You had a winning day. And that's all that matters. You're just trying to have winning days. So that's what I do. I never put, I never take my best bet and take that best bet and put it in a parlay. Why? Because if your bet, bet best bet happens to go down, what have you now done? You've now lost both. It's not smart money management and discipline. So bet your best bet, keep your best bet. If you're going to parlay stuff, do it with games, not involving your best bet.
0: What did you make of the Cincinnati-Arkansas matchup? Do you think that it's going to be one that that pushes towards the over or one that's uh, you know a low-scoring Cincinnati's going to do a lot of running the football and Arkansas Arkansas scores a lot of points, just people don't think of them as a high-scoring offense. What do you think that game is going to look like in terms of style of play?
1: Well, for me, early in the season, I leave totals alone until I see these teams play a couple weeks. You have so much turnover, so much going on in the transfer portal. You got to see these teams play. You got different coaches coming in with different offensive systems implementing their style. You got to take a step back and watch these teams play for a week. You do. Now, there are certain teams that I don't think it matters. I think Maryland's going to be one of the highest scoring teams in college football. I think you bet Maryland team total over every single game. You're going to win yourself some money. It's a system and a quarterback that have been in place for a couple of years. Maryland's going to be fun to watch offensively, but 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 you know, speaking consistently across the whole board, I just don't think you can mess with totals until you see these teams play for a couple of weeks.
0: There are a couple games I'm interested on the West Coast uh, for in this college football week one. One is San Diego State and Arizona, and the other is Boise State and Oregon State because those two schools, Boise State and San Diego State, have been better than most of the Pac-12 teams over the last decade. So anytime those teams are playing, you're always going to get, uh, you know, heavy favorites, uh, or I guess not heavy favorites. You're going to get action on those Mountain West teams because it's Boise State and because it's San Diego State. So uh, what do you think about the game, those two games coming up on Saturday?
1: Well, I'm going to take Arizona plus the points just because I think the the rape, allegations and situation involving San Diego state has taken the air out of this football team and what they're dealing with hard to focus. They are one in five against the spread as a home chalk last season. Um, I just think you got to wonder where they're at. These kids mentally ready to play a football game. I'm sorry. So I'm going to take Arizona and I always have a belief. If you get teams from the stronger conference, getting points. You got the PAC 12 coming, taking a step down in the mountain West. San Diego state lost a lot. The only 13 starters back from last year, they lost a lot from that, that really good team last year. I'm going to take Arizona plus the points. And as far as Boise is concerned, I've always said this, anytime you get Boise at a value number, you have to take them. And I think in this situation right here, looking at, looking at Boise at Oregon state five and one against the number away from home in 2021, Three and zero as an underdog under the new coach. Three and one against line. Eleven and two under the posted total. Their last thirteen. My lean is towards Boise State and the under. I like Boise.
0: So on the NFL side of things, obviously, you'll be joining us again sometime next week. And uh, we're looking at Bills and Rams first game of the season. What do you make of the, the Bills just as a team going into this season? Because I've seen a lot of people who say Buffalo has the best roster in the NFL. Buffalo's the best team in the NFL. They'll finish with the buy in the AFC. What do you think of Buffalo so far this year?
1: Unfortunately, their head coach is a buffoon. That's the problem
0: with Buffalo. Interesting. I have not heard heard that a lot of places.
1: Well, look at the last, you know, look at the last 25 seconds of the Chiefs game.
0: That's all you need to know.
1: That's all you need to know. He freezes in the big moments. There is no way any team should lose that game. But he did because he freezes in the moment. And I don't trust him in big time situations. Do they have the talent? Absolutely. But until Sean McDermott shows me he can get a team over the hump, I don't trust him. Sean McVay has shown you he can. I think if Buffalo's laying points in the game, which I think right now they are, I think they're a two-point road favorite. Um, My lean is towards the Rams. But the game I love, the game I'm crazy about, is the Raiders plus three and a half at L.A. against the Chargers. People better not sleep on the Raiders. I'm telling you, when they, they didn't watch Carr and Devontae and Renfro and Waller and that offense, they did not see them in the preseason. They never played. And you got Josh McDaniels and that offensive mind with those weapons and putting Devontae, and if you double him, now you got Renfo singled up, you got Waller singled up. I'm telling you, bro, their offensive line is is beast mode. The depth on their offensive line is beast mode. And you're getting them plus three and a half at the Chargers. Love the Raiders plus the points week one.
0: That's an interesting one because uh, you know, the Raiders and Chargers. Both look a little bit different than they did last year, and I think it'll be interesting to watch them play week one, and then the Chargers obviously play the Chiefs in week two on the Thursday night football game. Chargers are going to have an interesting little stretch to start the season, and I- I've seen a lot of people go different ways on the Chargers. How are you feeling about them?
1: They'll be successful. Herbert Herbert's going to have another rock-solid year, but they're in a division that's going to be a war. It's the best division in the NFL. It's gonna. It it will turn out to be the best division in the NFL. Denver with Russell Wilson, the Chiefs with Mahomes, Raiders and Carr, Chargers and Herbert. They're gonna beat the crap out of each other, literally six times this year. It's gonna be a. It's gonna be a war. I mean, seriously, that that division is gonna be the, the most fun to watch in the NFL this year.
0: Well, what do you make of the AFC North then? Because the AFC North doesn't have the top-heavy teams like the AFC West. I'd argue all four of those teams are also at least in the mix this year.
1: Well, Cleveland with the quarterback situation, I don't know. Pittsburgh with Turbisky, can he be trusted? Their offensive line's a bit banged up. It's a two-horse race with Cincinnati and Baltimore. It just is. I mean, it, uh, Pittsburgh might have a good year. Tomlin's always had a winning record. But I don't trust uh, I don't. I don't trust um brassette. Um, but I trust Burroughs and I trust Lamar. And I think at the end of the day it's gonna come down to those two boys right there.
0: Burrow and Lamar are, are uh in an interesting place right now because obviously Lamar's injury last year changed the tone for Baltimore and Baltimore's had catastrophic injuries the last couple of years. So that one will be interesting. You have any pick for the uh, the Bills Rams game on Thursday next week?
1: Um like I said I believe the Bills are a slight road favorite. I'm not sure. Haven't checked the line as of late. Um, but the last line I believe I saw was a pick'em or minus one bills. Um, so we'll have to we'll have to revisit that. Um, but I listen, if they're getting points, by the way, I will take the home dog all day long. I'm gonna look up the line right now as we're setting here, just because now you have me intrigued. And, uh, yeah, so Rams opened up a one point home dog and now the Rams are getting plus two and a half. So I'll take the home dog plus two and a half.
0: All right. You're rolling with the Rams, the defending champs. You mentioned the Raiders obviously love that pick. Is there another one that you have your eye on going into week one of the season? Maybe like, uh, against a bad, a, a good team against a bad team or something like that.
1: No, that's it so far I'll dive in I'll dive into more of it uh, come Monday when the cuts are made and everything's in place the Raider game just jumped right out at me um, but I'll put in most of my work over the weekend and Monday Tuesday.
0: any other big college football games that I missed that uh, you wanted to bring uh, to the to light for the people listening
1: Colorado plus 12 and a half at home over TCU. TCU had no defense last year. How are you going to cover 12 and a half when you have no defense this year? Sonny Dykes took over for TCU. His defenses at SMU were horrible. What makes you think he's just going to roll into TCU and put a defense together when they were 116th and stopping the run last year? I think think Colorado at home plus 12.5 in that altitude. And keep an eye on Old Dominion, Friday, tomorrow, plus six and a half over Virginia Tech. ODU, a little feisty dog there. Keep an eye on him.
0: All righty. That is Brandon Lang. You can check out BrandonLang.com for his gambling advice and uh, you'll be hearing him come on all throughout the college football season. Well, I guess really football season at large, but NFL hasn't started yet. So I uh, appreciate the time, Brandon, and uh, we'll talk to you again next week.
1: Got yeah, it,
0: babe.